This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Sanatam Kar. Sanatam Kar is an American-born kirtan singer raised in the Sikh and Kundalini yoga tradition. She is known internationally for her ability to transform traditional chants into a contemporary sound that appeals to the modern ear and awakens an ancient yearning in the soul. While traveling across the world on tour, she also teaches yoga and meditation, and with Sounds True, has released the new book, Original Light, The Morning Practice of Kundalini Yoga, a book that includes two CDs of guided chants and practices. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sanatam and I spoke about the five phases of practice of the Aquarian sadhana, a sadhana taught and developed by Yogi Bhajan, which is the basis of her new teaching book, Original Light. We also talked about the practice of Japji meditation and its origin, and we heard several stanzas of Japji meditation from one of the Original Light CDs. We also talked about working with the spine in kundalini yoga and how to awaken kundalini energy by bringing apana and prana together at the navel and how the energy of kundalini can then rise and be expressed in the chanting that is part of kundalini yoga. We also heard the chant Guru Ramdas sung by Sanatam Kar also from one of the CDs included in Original Light. Here's my conversation with Sanatam Kar. Sanatam, your new book and CD set, Original Light, brings the practice of the Aquarian sadhana to life for people. It's really a practice manual. And to begin, I'm wondering what it's like for you to put yourself out to the world as a teacher of spiritual practice, not so much in the role of the musician, the performing musician. And talk some about your motivation in creating this practice manual, if you will, Original Light. Thank you. Um, Yeah, for me... the knowledge in spiritual practice, the experience in spiritual practice um, is so, so high and so beautiful and so real. Um, And really my music also is driven and also draws from this place of spiritual practice uh, completely. Um, I became really aware of that early on 
before my music career took off. And um, so getting out there musically as in my career, becoming more well-known, was a process for me actually, um, because I wanted to always maintain the connection with my spiritual practice and and understanding, and also for other people to understand that as well. Um, so it was actually kind of a relief in in many ways to be able to um, communicate the the power of the spiritual practice. Um, and the the gifts that it's given to me, uh, because I always wanted a way to tell people and to connect people to that source so that they could have that capacity to have these experiences. I, I never looked at myself, and I still don't, as like an amazingly talented musician with a you know a special voice and all of these things. To me, it's really just a color or a sensation or a, uh, a fragrance or, or the reflection of my experience with this spiritual practice. Um, that's really it for me. So having this capacity to share with people is actually quite a relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things you write in the book that I found just so intriguing was that there are two ways to clear karma. And that one of them is spiritual practice through what you call sadhana, and that the other is through seva, or selfless service. And I wanted to start here at our conversation actually having you comment on both of these ways of quote-unquote clearing karma, your understanding of spiritual practice as a way to do that, and of selfless service as a way to do that. Yeah, well... Um, I guess I'll start off with the, the selfless service, the seva, uh, and, uh, in, in our family, we incorporate that maybe in a less public way, uh, more with, uh, we do a, a free community supper open to people and, and we also, uh, go and sing my, my with my daughter and her friends and I would go and sing t- in old folks' homes and there are you know other ways where we provide music just free and and in the community and all of this is is seva but it's pr- uh, maybe less less known than the spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of just my public persona or kind of, I don't kind of put it out there, but it's, it's a part of our, a part of our daily lives, um, having this, this seva. And it's been a huge blessing, uh, to me, maybe that's the most powerful way <laughs> in this lifetime for me in terms of like clearing my karma, but I don't know, what do I know? Um, <laughs> but then, uh, the spiritual practice aspect, I, ne- 
I never really tuned into that until recently, and I, I heard it from a, a teacher of mine, and she talked about how in spiritual practice we we can clear our karma as well. Uh, and and to me, the kind of karma that I'm talking about is is um, this kind of residual energetic effect from uh, from choices that we've made that were not so. Uh, supportive in our spiritual growth or the spiritual growth of somebody else or or maybe it was in the sense that they they became stronger from it but certainly didn't really advance our connection with our spirit internally and so these kinds of residual energies uh you know can be present from this lifetime and previous lifetimes and and it can be kind of uh, heavy on this subconscious or psyche uh, and can weigh, weigh us down in a way uh, that, that can, can be very challenging and we don't know what's happening or why, but it's this kind of residual energy. So you have the choice. You can do all sorts of different things, go to a healer, do this, that, and the other, um, but spiritual practice is something that you can do on your own that that really if you create that connection with your soul and that that uh, capacity within yourself to heal yourself through spiritual practice and release those karmas it's an incredibly empowering experience and, and I tuned into this recently and it really helped my meditation go deeper as I realized that uh, it wasn't just about preparing myself for the day, but, uh, or, or, um, about just, um, the obvious things that spiritual practice can bring, but also about clearing this residual energy, this kind of heaviness and being able to move forward in a lighter way, in a very deep way. You talk in the book about something that you call the fire of our spiritual practice and tapas and that tapas are one way to talk about this burning of karmic tendencies can you explain that uh yes um i think any kind of you know effort to bring ourselves to spiritual practice uh, lights this inner fire of the tapas, the, the, our inner discipline, our focus. Um, and this is a part of how the karmas get burned, how our fear gets burned, how we, um, can pass through difficult times is by, uh, sitting within the practice and, and maintaining the focus of the practice, whether it be physical movement or chanting or stillness, but my maintaining the discipline of that practice creates this inner, inner heat uh, that, that allows us to um, really go to a deeper level of self, uh, past resistances of um, really duality, uh, 
they uh, and it's an interesting thing because it's this fire that that burns through our duality um, and allows us to be really in union with the one because duality is when we're 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 not feeling in a sense of union with the one or a sense of union with our heart or the soul and um, you know but but to be able to to remain in that sense of union takes takes effort takes energy and and tapas Sanatam the book original light focuses on teaching people the Aquarian sadhana. Can you talk a little bit about how this particular spiritual practice came into being and came into your life? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I think I must have been, uh, my soul must have been looking down at the earth and decided to jump right into it. Um, my, I was born into the practice, essentially, and although it, um, in its current state, it wasn't quite fully developed at that time, uh, it really originated around that time in the early 70s uh, with a spiritual teacher named Yogi Bhajan, who came to the West and shared uh, these teachings. And it's, it's essentially a practice to uh, help... To help uh, to to be able to live in the world, but to live in a spiritual way, and and to be guided by spirit and soul and and in the energy of the soul, and so it incorporates um, physical movement and then stillness and breath and chanting and uh, devotional practices and uh, ways that uh, are. In many ways, but th that all work together in this kind of beautiful experience that when you you finish, um, you feel this kind of lightness and it and it works a lot with the energy of the spine. Um, and it's it's called Aquarian in that sense that it brings us into Aquarian consciousness, which is really um, being able to go with the flow of what life is is uh, presenting in front of you and to excel within that flow uh, and 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 then also to have the consciousness of community of of group consciousness um, not just kind of living by yourself but living in the world yeah so Yogi Bhajan created this two and a half hour sequence and then introduced it back in the 1970s and 80s is that correct Yes, he created the sequence. Um, he, uh, the there are elements from from the Sikh spiritual path, uh, like for example the Japji practice, which is the recitation, uh, and then you know there the the there are um, the practices of Kundalini Yoga and meditation, which he would say come from from. Uh, before, before him, and that he was a a, a master in that in that tradition for sure, uh, and uh, and is still very present to this day within the experience of Kundalini Yoga. 
But yes, he did in fact uh, bring together the sequence of what we practice. Now, right here at the beginning, Sanatam, I want to address what I think is probably a major objection for a lot of people. I think there are a few, and maybe we can just talk about them and get them out of the way. But I think one of them is like, this is all so foreign. I'm practicing in a language that is foreign to me, saying words that aren't part of my experience and culture. I mean, Sanatam herself is wearing a turban. Can't I do a spiritual practice that's more native to me as an American? This just seems outside of my experience. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's possible um, for anyone um, to do. Um, there are ways to, you know, experience spiritual practice um, fr from your own tradition. And I think, uh, that's a part of my journey. That was a part of my journey in writing the book, um, in a sense that people could understand the basic elements of this practice and, and understand, uh, the power within them. And, um, and why they work. Um, so yeah, certainly the words are different. Um, and I try to, um, you know, bridge the, bridge the gap, the understanding gap as much as, as possible, uh, with going into the, you know, the meanings of the words and, and the experience of the, um, you know, the words themselves. And it's usually uh, pretty easy. Uh, it's a pretty easy gap to fill because there's just an energy within the words and, and you just feel uh, so good afterwards. Um, and after chanting... Um, and, you know, it's, it kind of comes down to just the experience, uh, and, and, and that, that in and of itself, uh, is, is an opening, uh, and people are, you know, they're interested, you know, how, how do I, and ask me, you know, how do you create, uh, this kind of feeling within your concerts of, of this uplifting feeling and how do you, um, how is, how is it that your music is so uplifting? And, and for me, the sadhana is a way to empower people with people with the tools, uh, to create that own, their, the own, their own experience within their home. And, you know, but at the same time, like I can't really, uh, you know, water it down. Um, I have to be true to the tradition uh, but of course, everybody has the capacity to take or leave uh, what they what they wish. Um, but you know, with the it was fun in the book. I got to go into you know with the chants, um, the way that they work is is through the chanting process. You're you're tapping the tongue at the roof of the mouth and creating this Morse code communication to the brain which connects to your nervous system and your glandular system um, 
And that's how we can scientifically explain why people feel so good after a concert or after doing a meditation or that, that these kind of meditations can help uh, uh, with, uh, you know, like there's a, a kundalini yoga meditation called satanama, which is now being used in the Alzheimer's community and, and, is, um, and is huge. Um, so this is a way we kind of go back to the science of it. And then with the, with the uh, you know, in the, in the book, I talk about how in the practice, um, it'll help support your practice more if you keep a vegetarian diet because of the, the capacity to digest a vegetarian uh, diet more so than, than not, uh, so that you can have that empty gut, <laughs> kind of not finding a pretty word for it, but having, being able to meditate on an empty gut is a, an incredibly uplifting experience. And so having that capacity to digest every morning before you practice, I go into the kind of the scientific science of it. And then with the turban, I talk about how, uh, the reason that I wear a turban and the reason I invite people to have that experience, um, is that, the kundalini energy works with the energy of the spine and also with the energy of the hair. And as we wrap the hair at the top of the head, uh, this, this goes, this supports the energy of the kundalini being able to rise through the crown chakra, which is, which is at the top of the head and the turban helps to stimulate various acupressure points to support that kundalini rising. Um, so I, I go back to kind of the basics of it um, for the reasons uh, that that this lifestyle has these different elements. And with a full knowledge that somebody's going to say, you know what, that's not going to work for me. I'd rather, you know, um, it works better for me to shave my head. And that's fine. That's, that's going to be, uh, that is going to be. Uh, still an incredible experience for that person, I believe, in chanting the mantras. You know, but at the same time, um, I see myself as uh, uh, not only serving the broader community, aside from the Kundalini Yoga and Sikh community, but serving the broader community as, as my music kind of reaches out to, to people who aren't practicing Kundalini Yoga and they're not Sikhs. Um, so that's definitely a, a part of my uh, focus and intention, but it's also to uh, maintain the knowledge and the purity of the teachings as I know them. And so I've done that in this book, um, both reaching out, but then also maintaining the purity of the teachings. You know, it's interesting that you used this word purity because that is a word, Sanatam, that I associate with you. I associate it with the book, Original Light, when I feel into the book and read it. And also I associate it with just hearing your music. And I'm curious, what does it mean to you to maintain, quote unquote, your purity? Hmm. Well... You know, I mean, in many ways, it's 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 just God's grace and Guru's grace that that I've made it this far. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I've been able to present that sense of purity to you and that I've been able to do this kind of work. I, I have my faults and I have my challenges. Um, and it's hard for people to understand, uh, you know, how can, how can this be? Um, And, and for me, what it, what it comes down to is, is, is really that it's the practice, it's the energy within the practice that, that is my purity. It really, really isn't me. Um, and I, I just, I go back to that. I keep returning to that. And, and I think the day that I, that I don't return to that, um, the world will know. <laughs> um, it's really the it's really the energy within these teachings that that allows me, uh, that gives me the grace, that gives me the the breathing room and the space to be human. Um, and and I feel like I feel like I was in a certain sense chosen um, to to deliver these teachings. Um, not necessarily because of um, of of anything good that I did um, or have done, but just because that's the way it is. <laughs> I've been chosen to uphold and honor and carry and share these teachings. I really try to convey to people. Um, my sense of humanity. I, I tried to do some of that in the book. Um, my sense of uh, struggle, uh, my sense of overwhelm, um, and and my my family could be uh, better at telling you this than than me, but they know. They know that I'm not perfect, but they do know, and my daughter does know, my husband does know that the, that the, the practice works. It works for me. It works for us. Uh, it, it, keeps, it keeps the grace. It keeps the purity. Uh, and and that's, that's why I return. That's why I, I fight for my practice every morning. I wake up. Um, I create the space. Uh, create the rhythm and bring that energy into my life and into the life of my home and my family. And um, because it just, it brings a certain kind of a grace and purity within the experience of the practice. Well, and I think part of what you're pointing to here in your response to this question is that being pure hearted and perfect are not the same. They're definitely not the same. Yeah, I think... I think we all have to be okay getting knocked down, not only by uh, challenges that come from outside, but the challenges that come from inside as well. And having those moments of, you know, imperfection, um, you know, come through. But yeah. 
there there is a there is a grace within the practice and and that's something that's very exciting to me to be able to share with people um, that uh, in times of stress and times of struggle uh, we can do these these practices and they they can work and they do work and we have a capacity we have a tool we have a way um, you know but yeah I think what what you're talking about too is is not just within the practice itself, but in our day-to-day moments and, and life itself. Um, and, and to me that, you know, I do the practice in the morning so that my day, my days can be filled with the, um, the rhythm of the practice that, that I've intoned and ingrained within my being in, in the morning um, and that, that uh, become the inner resonance and frequency of my being throughout the day. In the book Original Light Sanatum, you describe the practice of the Aquarian sadhana as happening in five stages. And the first stage is preparing to do the practice and creating an altar of the self, as you describe it. And then the second phase is something that you call Jop-Ji meditation. And there are two CDs that accompany the book, and one of them contains these Jop-Ji meditations. And I'd love our listeners to hear a bit of that, and maybe you can introduce it and give people a sense of what they're listening to, and what this practice of Japji meditation asks of us. Yeah, well, uh, Japji comes from Guru Nanak, who, who is the first um, Guru of the Sikhs, and he, um, he taught in, in uh, northern India, in the 15th century, uh, he was born with with an incredible amount of light. Um, but there is this moment in his life when when he decided to make that transition from a more um, kind of householder, secular life to just completely devoting himself to teaching. And he, he submerged himself in this river uh, as, a part, as a part of his preparation for his morning practice one morning. And, and he submerged into that river and, and stayed within the river in a very deep meditative state for three days and... And when he came out, uh, he recited the very first, um, the very first part of Japji, uh, and then subsequently in his life, the other forty, the other thirty-nine steps, as there's a total of forty steps, the other thirty-nine stanzas came. Um, but it's it's understood that when you recite all of these forty stanzas 
then you can receive that same message of how to have that merger of soul and the divine as, as Guru Nanak had within, within his underwater uh, meditation or Jal Samadhi or the underwater Samadhi or the enlight, uh, having that experience of light and completely merging with it. Um, so he uh, really left the sound current of Japji for us. And each of the 40 stanzas has, has a specific message for the soul as to how it can find the merger and, and find its way to that, to that total sense of merger. So if you recite the whole Japji every day, you get this kind of tonic uh, with each of the 40, uh, 40 stanzas um, supporting your soul in its merger with the one. The full chanting of all the stanzas takes about 30 minutes, but we're just going to listen here to a couple of minutes, the first few stanzas of the Japji meditation. Let's listen. Vaheguruji ka khalsa, Vaheguruji ki fateh, Japji Sahib Ikongar Satnam Karta Purak Nirpa Nirvair Akal Murat Ajuni Saipang Gurparasad Jap Aad Sach Jugad Sach Habi Sach Nanakosi Bi Sach Soche soche na hovei je sochi lakhavar Chupa chupa na hovei je lai raha levatar Bukhya bukha na utri je banna puriya par Sahasa siyana pa lakh hoi ta ekna challa nala Kiv sachyara hoiya kiv kode tute paala Hukumara jai chalana nanak likhya nala Hukumi hovan akar hukumana kahya jai Hukumi hovan jiya hukumamale vadiyai Hukumi utamanicha hukumalik duka sukapaya hai Ikana hukumi bakhasis Iku hukumi sada bavaya hai Hukamai andar sabko, bahar hukam na koe, nanak hukamai jepuja, to homa kahana koe, gave kotana, hove kisetana, gave kotata, janeni sana, gave kotun vadiaya chara, gave Gave ko saaj kare tan ke Gave ko ji lefirte Gave ko chape tisse tur Gave ko vekha hatra hatur Kathna kathina ave tot Kath kath kathi koti kot kot Deda dela de tak pahe Juga jugantar kahi kahe Hukami hukama chalaye raho Nanak vikase vay parvaho 
साचा साहेब साचा नाय पाख्या पाव अपार आखे मंगे देह देह दात करे तातार फेर के आगे रखिया जित दिसै दरबार मोहके बोलन बोलिया जित सुन तरे now, Sonatum, I can definitely imagine listening for 30-ish minutes to this Japji meditation, but the idea that I'm going to be able to pronounce this correctly and chant along with you, really? <laughs> really, yes. <laughs> um, we have, you know, it's a process, and, and what I've presented here um, is not... Uh, is not something that I'm expecting people to get overnight. And, and certainly to just have the japji playing in your home or in your environment or as a part of the practice in the morning and, and listening to it is a, is a good first step. Um, and, and I have a learning tool um, that, that I also developed, uh, a call and response uh, format for people to learn um, that that want to go deeper into into the experience and the practice of Japji. And then there's also, uh, I'm teaching an online course coming up in October for people that want to go deeper. But it's kind of like I just needed to um, to present the beauty of the practice. And then also people can read uh, Japji, the translation of Japji right there within the book as well. Um, and, and you can also read just a section of Japji, a stanza of Japji, uh, to have an experience of just one stanza. Uh, and I also invite people to utilize Japji in the sense of, uh, taking a divine reading at the end of the morning practice, uh, to, so that you can have a, a guidance for the day. Um, so there's many kind of ways to approach approach Japji. And, and I look at it um, for myself, the practice of Japji and learning about it is a life, it's a lifetime practice. Um, but it's so beautiful. And this is really, Japji is the, is the sacred poem of, of, uh, uh, of my life, the, my love sacred poem. Uh, there, you know, the, I think I've recorded more things from Japji than, than any other, um, writing from the Sikh tradition. Um, and so I really felt, um, super excited and happy to be able to kind of put the entire Japji text within, within, um, the original light book, uh, for people to have access to these teachings and then again, just to really invite people to, to take it step by step. Now, the third phase of the practice of the Aquarian sadhana is kundalini yoga. And you mentioned that a core aspect of practicing the Aquarian sadhana has to do with working with the spine. And I wonder if you can talk more about that and the importance of working with the spine. Yeah, um, well, yeah, in Kundalini Yoga, 
Um, there is a flexibility of the spine that, that comes naturally. I've noticed with people that, that practice it on a regular basis. And it's kind of, it's not just kind of flexibility of the spine that, you know, you can suddenly do circus tricks and things like that. Um, it's really about this lightness of the spine, a lightness of energy. And as many people that have delved into spiritual traditions like the Sounds True audience would know, um, on the spinal column, we have all of our chakras uh, that relate to um, that relate to uh, the higher self and and the and the human self and the earthly self, with the first chakra being the earth and and elimination, sec second chakra being water and creativity, sexuality, third chakra at the navel center being digestive. Uh, fire and courage, and then at the heart center, uh, compassion, and then throat center, the um, capacity to communicate, and the third eye, the point between the eyebrows, the intuition, and then the seventh chakra at the top of the head, connecting to the divine and having that, that marriage of the divine, that union with the divine through the crown chakra. So really, when we talk about a flexible spine, it's about having an energized chakra system and having all of these centers being completely nourished, balanced, and uh, energized for the day. Um, so Kundalini Yoga is, is uh, pretty incredible in, in that um, it works uh, to, to do just this. Um, through many different types of, of kriyas or sets of exercises. And some of them relate directly to the spine and, and some of them relate to things like depression or things like the kidneys or uh, things like memory or um, love connections, all sorts of different aspects. But all, at the end of the day, and, and if you boil it all down, it really has to do with this kundalini energy rising through the spine. And um, so in the kundalini yoga sets, there's uh, that I've provided in the book um, and, and in many kundalini yoga sets, there's, a, there's movement and circulation, which, which I find is really important at the beginning of the day uh, and, and ways to, um, you know, bring blood flow and energy to all the parts of your body, the, the legs and the arms, and, and have that sense of movement and rejuvenation. Um, and and uh, so we work with this energy of movement and flow, um, but, but then it really comes back to the spine again of creating that sense of neutrality at the base of the spine so that when you can you you sit down to do the next part, which is chanting, um, you have that capacity for the energy to rise to actually rise up the spine. So you know, I always uh, tell people if they, if they if you want to learn to sing from me, if you want me to be your singing teacher, you're going to also have to learn how to do Kundalini yoga <laughs> because for me, it's about it's about having that that flow and the 
glandular system and the nervous system um, balanced and and in and in flow, uh, and then you can sit down and and have the the energy of the Kundalini essentially rise up the spine, and and that is really the key uh, experience within the Aquarian sadhana. So, are you saying, Sanatam, that in your experience, when you're singing, when you're performing, which is probably the way most people have related to you historically, you're expressing vocally the rising of Kundalini? That's really what that energy is rising up your spine and singing, and, and that's why you would start anybody who wants to train with you by teaching them the practice of raising kundalini? Yeah, and, I, you know, I'm not like one of these people that, you know, I'm going to and tell you, oh, my kundalini's rising right now. It's it's not kind of like that or, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not something that uh, if anybody tells you that their kundalini rising is, it, their kundalini is rising at a particular moment, then you probably want to kind of raise your eyebrows and um, <laughs> because it's a much more subtle energy. Uh, it's a much more gentle, subtle energy that's it's essentially the way that I describe it is like the innocence of a child, um, the lightness of, of joy uh, is when you feel that sense of um, uh, a union with the one. And, and yes, I experienced that uh, while I'm chanting, and, and anything less um, would be utterly disappointing and boring to me. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's come from kind of years and years of of this kind of practice and immersion. Um, and and the good news is that it can be really had by anyone um, who has that. Uh, discipline to to incorporate these teachings into their life, but yes, it's all about the Kundalini energy, the 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 uh, rising within the experience of of the chanting. In the book, you describe in I think classic yogic language that this awakening of Kundalini happens when prana and apana come together and meet at the navel. And can you explain your direct understanding and experience of that, prana and apana coming together? Yeah, well, the, the prana is the life force energy that's moving upwards, and apana is the energy of, of death and dying and decay. And in the kundalini yoga practice we work to to bring these energies to a place of neutrality and that happens through the various movements and postures and angles of uh, holding postures and breath work um, and it happens in in a very um, exact way so in a kundalini yoga set uh, we would never, let's say, skip the third exercise in a series, um, or we would never kind of change the ratio and practice one exercise 
uh, you know, much longer than what is stated and all of these things or mix and match other traditions within uh, the experience of a Kundalini yoga set or Kriya. And that's from top to bottom as given by Yogi Bhajan because each, each set works in a very specific way to neutralize, bring the prana and apana to a state of zero so that, that that kundalini energy can rise. And it happens like clockwork uh, with within these sets, within these kriyas that have been given. That's why they're revered so much and there's so much effort and energy to maintaining the purity of the teachings because they work. Um, we, we tune in at the very beginning with, with a tuning in chant and we close out at the end to hold respect to these teachings. So, um, so that, that's what's happening on, on a physical level. Then there's the whole mental, emotional, psychic level of what does that mean um, when your prana, your upward moving energy balances and mixes with the apana, your downward, your decay, your dying, your sense of imperfection, all of these things. Um, that's where your kundalini, you know, just simply cannot rise when, when, when you have uh, a massively huge ego or, uh, and, and ego can be both things of, of, of uh, taking responsibility for everything and feeling completely guilty and overwhelmed and all of these things to thinking that you're it and you're the sole, you know, possessor and uh, uh, on the planet and such a super hot singer and all these things, you know, that's ego as well. So in a certain sense, ego gets tested by the apana, the decay process. We're all dying. We're all changing. And, um, and the only way that you can remain in a sense of neutral space so that your kundalini can rise is by going through those psychic experiences of ego and coming back to just the essence of soul and the essence of self, which is what you is the only thing you're going to have at the end of this life anyway, and and so it's good to make friends now and and have that understanding now. So Kundalini also has to do with that capacity to, in a sense, bow and allow yourself to go through those transformations, um, so that you can can come to a state of neutrality. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's kind of the uh, short and long answer to your question. And then you mentioned that after the practice of kundalini yoga, the fourth phase in the Aquarian sadhana practice is chanting. And there's a second CD included with the original light book that has an entire sequence of chants. And I thought we could play for our listeners the Guru Ramdas chant. And I'm wondering if you can introduce that for us. That sounds good. Um, I'm glad you're playing this one. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the chant that I do without fail every single day. Um, and it's... Um, 
one of those chants in my life that has worked uh, to bring me out of uh, any kind of heaviness, darkness, sadness, uh, fear. Um, sometimes I'll chant it uh, for, you know, just five or six minutes, which is the length that it is on the CD. And sometimes I'll just chant it for hours, two hours, whatever it takes um, to kind of get through um, the resistances of the day um, and, and connect to that divine energy that, that is really, I feel like, everyone's birthright to be connected to. But, you know, it can be a process sometimes or a lot of times, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so this chant, Guru, Guru, Wahe, Guru, Guru, Ram, Das, Guru. So as we chant Guru, Guru is, is a, um, it's, it's a sacred word that is a spark word or it, it, it's a, it, it lights the fire. Um, so Guru, Gu means darkness and Ru means to light. So from darkness to light. And as we chant this word, and all of these sacred words, there's a part of, of us within our beings, a cellular resonance that understands the meaning, whether, you, whether or not you understand it on a mental level. There is, with these sacred words, there is a capacity for you to understand even uh, without that mental understanding, where there's a communication happening. Um, where we, we, in fact, move from darkness to light in our consciousness. So we chant that twice, guru, guru. And, and it, it, as my teacher described it, it's like moving up the rungs of a ladder. And then we chant wahe guru, which is the experience of bliss, wahe, here and now, and guru from darkness to light, that, that experience of bliss. Um, and, and that's... Uh, where we have reached out now fully to the divine, climbing that ladder of consciousness. And then Guru Ram Das Guru, the, the universe comes back in the form of Ram Das, the servant of, of the divine, uh, to then serve that entity who called out in the first place. Um, and the... The guardian of this mantra, or the um, that that guarantees, I feel uh, the the that the prayer is answered and heard, is Guru Ramdas, who is the fourth Guru of the Sikhs. Um, and I, I, this is the way that I connect with with his energy is through this chant, um, and uh, have had an and have experienced incredible healing from it.
I have to say, Sanatam, listening to you sing that chant, I mean, it touches me so deeply. And hear your book, Original Light, I feel like what you're inviting people is to not just listen to you and receive your music, but to come join you as a kundalini yoga practitioner, to come join you in that field of grace, if you will. And this title, Original Light, I wonder if you can explain that. In the very beginning of the book, you write, there's a light that I can tap into, an infinity of original light through spiritual practice. Yeah, yeah, I, I forget oftentimes in my own life, even with all the practice and everything that I have this light that I can tap into. And I think even in the recording of that chant, um, I had forgotten and I remember, I think the take that we actually decided to use was this take when I remembered that light and I remembered to tap into that light and, and it was so beautiful and it brought me to tears. Um, you know, I guess we can somehow easily forget and then fortunately we we have these moments of grace to remember um, that that light is available to us. Um, and my, my greatest hope for this book and prayer for this book is that um, people that um, are touched by the music uh, can find can find out that it wasn't some sort of um, thing that only happened to me, but it's something that that can be available to absolutely everyone, um, that it's a technique, that it's a tool, that it, there's a methodology uh, and, and a whole um, teaching and experience for people to have, um, right? right at home, you know, even if they don't have a yoga studio to go to or, you know, um, the community that I'm really hopeful that the book will be able to reach out to those people as well. And then, uh, you know, for people that, that do have the capacity of community that, or the prayer for community that, that these, that this sadhana is actually also a really powerful way to, in fact, create sacred community and grow community. Sanatam, I want to ask you what I think is kind of an edgy question, but I can't help myself. Our program is called Insights at the Edge, after all, which is, I think, one of the reasons people reject certain spiritual practices is they'll say, you know, there's something wrong with XYZ teacher that I've heard stories about this guru, Yogi Bhajan, and you know this bothers me or that bothers me, so I'm turned off to the whole practice, not interested. Or there's some way that they've always got you know one hand rejecting while another hand is saying, you know, come closer, I'm interested. There's always this weird ambivalence. And I'm curious what you would say to that person. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, I feel like it's a soul thing. It's a soul calling. So I don't really spend much time kind of, uh, in the upstream part of the river, um, trying to convince people that are not drawn to it. It's, it's like, if your soul's not drawn to it, if you don't have like this inner calling, it's probably not for you. <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of been, you know, maybe, maybe some of the marketing people that I've worked with in the past, I uh, haven't liked that so much. Um, but in the end, it's, it's been the secret to my success. Um, I feel, um, is staying true to the, to the teachings and true to what it is. And, um, you know, when, when, and if that, that soul or your, your soul is meant to, you know, experience the teachings of this path, um, then it'll happen. I have complete and utter faith. And then if, if your soul is meant to experience the teachings of another path, um, I have complete and confidence and faith that that is the best, um, way to go. Um, so I really try to do this with my own life too, is, is try to tap in. What does the soul want? What is the soul asking for? Um, my, my job in all of this, uh, has been to, um, you know, follow the calling of my soul, which is to present these teachings in, in their, their purest form. Uh, that I know, and and to be a, a guardian, I guess, at this point of the teachings as I'm getting into my my 40s, and um, and and that and that's really my role. And I I don't I've never been one to try and and convince somebody um, of of something that wasn't calling to them. Okay, and one final question: the last part of the Aquarian sadhana, the fifth phase, is surrender, bow, and receive. And I think this would be a wonderful way to end our conversation. If you would, if you could help give people an invitation, if you will, to this act of bowing and surrendering, and how that works for you. And in many ways, this seems to me to be the final offering of the practice, this invitation to surrender and bow and receive. Yeah. Yeah, this is the final stage in which we, um, I invite people to, to really state their prayers, to state, um, and I share a tradition, a Sikh form of doing that called Ardas, um, and then uh, to take a divine reading afterwards. Um, in the Sikh tradition, we, we do that with uh, a sacred text called the Siddhi Guru Gransa, which we bow to as our guru. And essentially just open, open the sacred text to whatever page we are meant to and, and, and then take the reading from where, wherever our eyes fall, take that reading. And then that, that serves as a voice and a guidance. 
Um, and I encourage people to, you know, if they feel more called to, uh, you know, take a sacred reading from the Bible or the Torah, or the Quran, or a, a favorite book of poems, but just some way that that the divine can speak to you and can guide you uh, in this way where you have done your practice, you've balanced your energy with the yoga and the chanting, um, and now and now you you really give that energy to the divine um, in these in these real ways of 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 putting your prayers out to the universe and then receiving the messages from the divine in whatever form they come. Um, to me, this is not something that just happens in one day. Uh, to me, this is an intention. A daily intention, um, a lifelong intention that my family and I have uh, have been blessed to to live in this way, to honor this way, uh, where where we really have this intention, whether we do it perfectly or not, um, to live by the will of the divine, um, and I feel that this this daily practice of ours in this fifth and final stage of um of praying and then receiving the wisdom from the divine has really allowed us to carve and architect our life um in uh in flow with with serving the divine um granted i have we have uh lots more to, to grow and lots more to learn and do. And um, I feel, especially within myself, um, so much more to, to learn and grow. Um, but I, I do have this sense that we are, we are connected with the divine, that we have a guidance or a, a compass. Um, and so I really you know, it doesn't, you don't have to do it from the Sikh tradition. Um, you can do it from your own tradition and I really, but I really, really encourage people to, to tap into these, these sacred traditions and get guidance, um, and, and have a way to, um, to hear this, the, the voice of the divine, you know, every single day. Uh, it's been incredibly powerful me, powerful for me and has helped me to, um, to live my life in a divine way. I've been speaking with Sanatam Kar, and she has created a beautiful new book and two CD set. It's called Original Light, the Morning Practice of Kundalini Yoga. Two CDs are included with the text, a CD of Japji meditation, and then also a second CD that goes through a series of chants that are part of this morning practice. Sanatam, thank you so much for your being a straight-shooting truth-teller and for the beauty of your human instrument in this world. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.